And pl would you welcome her? And just in case you hadn't realised it, this morning's the first time that Charlie has emceed the service and I reckon we could just give her a real encouragement because uh, she is a breath of fresh air at any time. Um, title of this message is Midwives and Family. If we're going to have a series under the banner of King of Love, we probably need to take a good look at the whole matter of love. Um, you can do a Google study on biblical love and find out a lot of solid information. For now, I'll just say that there are two Greek words used by Christ and Paul and others in the New Testament um, for the word, our English word love, um, agape and filio phileo, um, which always feels to me like it's more of something we'd use in cooking. Anyway, um, in general, agape love uh, is a solid reciprocal love that we give and receive as believers. And it's a very precious thing and not to be discounted. And I would say in, in my story um, of life, it's usually an unproven love. We get away with turning up and a little bit of a hug, bit of an air kiss, how are you going, I really care, I'll be praying for you. It doesn't have a lot of tension attached to it, but it gets us through year after year and it's very precious and not to pay as counted. Jesus has used agape love 58 times. It's one of those times that were recorded that Charlie's already given us in John 13, 35, that people would know that we were followers of Christ by the quality, um, the intensity of the agape love, this precious love that we'd have for one another. A filio love goes deeper and Jesus uses it 12 times. And uh, as I look into those um, times of the usage, it's a very cherishing love. It's a faithful love. It's a deeper love. Um, somewhat unsettling to me is the fact that uh, when those, in most of those uses, um, there's something cautionary and even chastening in the context. And any time we're being chastened by God, we will feel cherished. And if that sounds perverse, all I can do in this message is assure you and promise you that the phileo love of Christ for us, it's faithful and it's cherishing. It never bullies us into some kind of life improvement. And if you ever feel a chastening in the spiritual context that is condemning and judging, I would ask you to check into what is really going on. It's probably not this magnificent love. In short, we can be in no doubt that he is authentically the king of love. Jesus talked about love. We know he demonstrated it. We know that love motivated him. He walked the walk and he talked the talk. Um, so to throw something to this matter, here are three stories. My story, her story, so here's my story. Um, uh, Graham's uh, um, stepbrother um, is Duncan Brown, known to many of you. And Duncan and Trish live out near Fernvale. And last year, in the middle of the pandemic, they pioneered a church. And it's been my privilege to preach for them a few times. And to set that church up, Duncan laid down a curriculum of going through Acts. So I get told what my Acts references are that I'm to preach to. Well, two times ago, it was Acts 12, the story of Saul's conversion 
on the road to Damascus. So um, I came up with a title I thought was pretty good. It's now Saturday night before the Sunday afternoon preach and my title is Religion Always Comes Up With The Wrong Answer. I thought it was a cool title and um, it just tracked through what was going on, what the res religious response was to this developing early church and to those believers. So Saul is functioning out of religious zeal. He's sure about his doctrinal beliefs about God. He's sure that they are right and that he is doing God a favour by destroying this upstart movement. Jesus introduces himself to Saul, who's immediately blinded. He doesn't eat or drink for three days. And I said to them, this is a good picture of religion. Religion will always leave us blind, hungry and thirsty. And then God speaks to Ananias, and his first response is, about God, we don't like him because he doesn't like us. And religious Fernvale, I described um, as a religious, was a man of deep and devout character. It was quickly followed by what I called a kingdom response, which was Brother Saul. And that when Saul was led into that home, a relationship of kingdom proportions began with Brother Saul. So I thought that was a really good message. I can only go for about 12 minutes, and I think I brought it in at about uh, 11 and a half minutes, um, watching the clock. That was Saturday night. Um, Sunday morning, I turn up to church here, and Graham introduces the new series, King of Love. And as this man unfolds and presents, I'm sitting in the back there, and a sob starts to rise from deep in here. Um, I'm a mess. Um, and what I know, having walked with the Lord for as long as I have, is that the King of Love is showering me with some phileo love. Um, I cried all the way home. I cried on my way out to Fernvale. They didn't know that. I'm a professional. I just got up and did my, did my 11 and a half minutes and then cried all the way home. What I knew was that there was an event coming up in my diary and that there'd be some brother Sauls there and that I could have a brother Saul moment if I was up for it. Well, I did manage one. And here's what I just want to tell you, that um, there's a cleaning out feeling when we allow kingdom to rise up over religion. And uh, I've got more work to do, do for sure. There's, uh, I've got no doubt work to do for sure to others. And I'm in no doubt, but I'm just a soul to others. Man. So my credentials for preaching on love are simple. I'm owning that the king of love needs a bigger throne room in my heart. Um, since that Saturday, since that Sunday, um, this whole Ananias, brother Saul, king of love deal, it has just been like scratching away in the barnyard of my soul. You know, it just kind of won't go away. Um, it's bothering me. What if religion with, had won in that moment between Ananias and Saul? What if it had won? It's joyless, it's judgmental, and it's exclusive. What if Ananias's imprint that he left on Paul was nothing more than more religious frameworks and constrictions? And that is a frightening thought. Instead, the eternal words of Christ rung in his ears and it must be our standard today. Matthew 5 verses 44 and 45, but I say, 
love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Matthew 22, verses 37 to 39, Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. And love your neighbour as quoted. And then I'll verse one already quoted. 34 and 35. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I've loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Oh, praise God. Ananias did have those words from the king of love ringing in his ears because any other response to this man, this persecutor, would have been perilous in the establishing of the church. The right response had to happen. The right response had to happen because the intersection between Ananias and this man was an intersection with somebody destined to shape the church. It was shaped in embracing, accepting love. He was still Saul. And yet Ananias was able to say, Brother Saul. This is how thoroughly Ananias brought Saul into the family that where Jesus used these two words for love around 70 times, uh, Paul used them over 100 times. So thank you, Ananias. He got the message. Instead of leaving your home just as he was when he arrived, which was blind, hungry and thirsty, he loved family and you had to pay love. Something was genuine. So, and something else was the midwife to an extraordinary ministry. He owned relationship with the w- use of the word brother, even though Saul had not changed. And then he used the language of family. And then God positioned him as the midwife to Saul's spiritual birthing. Which brings me to the second story, which is her story. Um, over 20 years ago, I was um, involved in a certain setting and um, with a group of leaders and uh, of those people that were part of that deal, there was uh, one woman who was perennially a problem. Um, she, had st- she had unusual ways of demonstrating her spirituality and um, she, uh, it was like bouncing off wall stuff. It was very odd. She ran a little group that ha- didn't come under anyone's authority and it, it, as, as we looked into it, pretty much it was a gathering of people who hadn't fitted in anywhere else either. But she was still part of this group and so often when the leadership was together, there'd be a story and it wasn't just like, oh, guess what she's done again. It was like, what on earth do we do here? And one day there was an Anglican vicar as part of this little leadership group and I remember... Um, so clearly I can close my eyes and see him say very quietly, I wonder who looked after her when she was a baby Christian. And 20 years on, I have to say, that quiet question still haunts me. There are two men who are utterly fascinating to us. One is Joseph, um, the stepfather of our Lord, Um, God trusted him not only to be most likely a midwife to the literal birthing, but this one man in all of time 
God saw had the character to be that first male imprint on his son. Incredible thought. And the other one has to be Ananias. God trusted him to be a midwife in the birthing of a man who would put form and structure around the church. Ananias was the first impress of Christ's life on Saul. So who looked after him that we can now as a baby Christian? It's a question that we can now answer of God who understood the power of love, the power of acceptance and the power of inclusivity. Which brings us to the third story, which is our story. For over two years at least, the Spirit of God has been tugging us towards this king of love theme, to this idea of family and to the idea of being midwives in the birthing of new seasons in each other's lives. We have been challenged again and again with the matter of our imprint on each other's lives and of our imprint on the world around us. So just for the sake of time, I'm only going to look at 2021. It was not, lot, not that long ago that Josh spoke of people in our midst who have known excruciating loss. And he said, this is a good place to be when we are in pain. Then, Alta One is on its way. This is a school for young people who need a whole lot of Brother Saul moments in their young lives. Then there's Graham's hunger for reconciliation that just seems to constantly flow over us as a community. And uh, what I love is that even though meticulous attention is paid, thank you, Graham, to NADOC, um, you'll see him wear the shirts all year round. Um, it is very much part of what he carries, and I do love and have been fascinated for many years by the Psalm 133, that the pattern, um, which is that the, the flavor runs down to the heads, becomes a, so the flavor on the, the flavor is a flavor of reconciliation. And then we show ownership of a weary and blood-stained world in our support and love of Teske and Ruth and Daniel who are wrenched by what is going on in their homeland of Ethiopia. So surely God is speaking and the sound of his insistent voice is, has continued to be heard through this king of love theme. Um, please revisit Duane's unfolding of the parable of the Samaritan. It's exquisite and be challenged by that. Please re-listen to Charles' carefully worded description of the shepherd's love. And then last Sunday's magnificently crafted insight into what is going on politically and how our response must lack the aggression and the fear that is part of religious fervour. And into that we must again throw love. Perfect love casts out fear. That's agape love and perfect. Thank you, Josh. I checked with him just before the service started. You can say mature love casts out fear. We do not face the future fearful. And I have to say that as a grandmother of three little people, I want them to grow up in freedom. I want them to be able to come to some children's church and be well catechized in the basics of our faith. Of course we do. And any thought of not doing everything we can to maintain religious freedom, I think is just a little perverse. It's been a little arrogant, pestilent. Man. So, yes, let's do it for everything we can and fear because perfect love, mature love, casts out fear. 
We do it from a base of love. The King of Love is inviting us to bring an Ananias spirit to each other and to the world. That is, we are to be midwives into each other's tomorrows. And again, I think of the young people who will be in this building um, having whatever schooling they are able to manage. What if that school is as a midwife to their tomorrows? The King of Love is inviting us to be a kingdom imprint on each other and then to the community around us, even when the truth is that they are saying, but we don't like you. I want us to finish with communion now and do, to do so, circle back to the way Ananias greeted Saul. He said, brother Saul, he said, family. Ananias owned relationship even though Saul had not yet changed and he used the language of family. And I feel that this morning the king of love is asking us, can you, can we, will we be the family each other needs? There are some here who are probably well contained in their family. Well contained, it's a pretty tight show. Um, and, and uh, maybe the needs aren't great, but we know perfectly all well there's incomplete families all over to a building. You might go only to a read this. Many incomplete families and Holy Spirit is saying, will you be the family each other needs? So will you please take your communion cup now and rip the tops off it and prepare it. With this message now um, ringing in our ears, let's recall the words of Christ as he hung on the cross. He looked down at his distraught mother and at the disciple he loved and he said, Mother, behold your son and son, behold your mother. He was completing a family. He was saying, does love make it possible for you to be the family that each other needs? It mattered to him then and it matters to him now. So, Heavenly Father, we come to you in the precious and holy name of your Son. Even of yourself, there is this magnificent sense of togetherness. Help us to be midwives, help us to be family to each other. Thank you, dear Jesus, for allowing your body to be broken, allowing your blood to be shed. And we recognize this morning that that blood it runs through, it runs through your people all over the world. We thank you that it does bind us and hold us together. Lord, when we are tempted to have a religious response to religious fervor. Uh, remind us that there's a higher way. Take us to the higher place. Thank you that your love is powerful and it is healing, it is cherishing, it is faithful. And let us be able representatives of that love to a world even when the world so obviously may not like us.
And so let us eat and drink together, remembering his broken body.